Section 27, Chapter 16, Part 1 of The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section 27, Chapter 16, Part 1. A Fresh Campaign Set on Foot colonel cook in command kit carson goes as guide the apaches and utahs leagued together the roughness of the country and the privations to which the command was exposed the indians overhauled a running fight the advantages gained the chase resumed the apaches resort to their old tricks colonel cook is obliged to return to abiquiu a utah taken prisoner through mistake kit carson goes to taos and has a conference with the chiefs of the utah nation cook's second scout he is caught in a furious snowstorm and obliged to return to rio colorado major brooks and reinforcements come to the rescue major brooks on the lookout but fails to find the indians carleton's expedition kit carson goes with it as guide the adventures met with Kit Carson's prophecy comes true. The Moache Band of Utahs summoned by Kit Carson to a grand council. Troubles brewing among these Indians. The smallpox carries off their head men. To retrieve the ground lost, and also to show the Hikaria Apaches that their recent victory had tended only to stimulate the movements of the Americans to a display of greater activity and energy after a brief space of time, a large body of regular troops were made ready to take the field against them the commander of this expedition was colonel cook of the second regiment of united states dragoons that officer chose for his principal guide kit carson whose peace duties as indian agent had been abruptly arrested by the warlike attitude of some of his indians it was necessary also that kit carson should be on the ground in case the red men were overtaken in order to ascertain whether or no the utahs were mixed up with the operations of the apaches a large branch of the former tribe were part and parcel of his agency and the two nations were known to be on very friendly terms with each other consequently it was surmised that they might be secretly and under disguise acting together in the war colonel cook employed besides the troops of the line which were under his command some forty men selected from among the mexican and pueblo indians whose duties were to act as spies and trailers these pueblos were selected for spies on account of their being familiar with indian habits and their mode of warfare they were taken from among the best hunters which the pueblo villages could furnish they presented themselves provided with their own horses rifles and in most cases with their own ammunition and were supplied only with their rations of food when it was practicable they were allowed to kill game and being very expert at it they seldom returned from a hunt open-handed their peaceful mode of life prevented them from engaging in any deep league with the hostile indians but yet there is no doubt that when the different tribes were at war with the whites the pueblos harbored the warlike indians and supplied them in many instances with such articles as they stood most in need of their policy in thus acting might have been to retain the friendship of these indians and thus prevent their committing any depredations on themselves 
the pueblos may have taken advantage of the state of affairs when war existed and doubtless frequently did under disguise of the enemy becoming guilty of crimes which could easily have been proven against them the mexicans have often tried to criminate the pueblos for thus acting but they have proceeded with such bungling policy that it has seldom happened that anything criminal has been definitely proven against them if a part of them have thus acted there is not the least doubt but that the majority are guiltless they are as a body loyal to the government of the united states but not so much from love of the americans as from being shrewd they know it is for self-interest to keep good friends with the strongest power on these war scouts they rendered valuable service and in this light have long been regarded with favor by the whites the command of these forty mexicans and pueblo indians was conferred upon james h quinn a well-known and prominent citizen of new mexico this gentleman became intimately associated with the territory of new mexico soon after that country was annexed by the united states in politics military life farming and mercantile pursuits he was most actively engaged and by his talents and industry took a prominent position and became an influential member of society he had some faults who has not but his unexpected death came so suddenly upon his friends that they could only think of him for the many good qualities both of his head and heart hence his faults were most willingly passed over in silence all things being in readiness the command entered upon the pursuit of the indians they marched from taos ten miles north to a stream called arroya hondo thence following the banks of this stream down through its deep and rocky canyon they came to rio del norte on the first named stream there is a small unattractive settlement which bears the same name several years since there was a large distillery in full operation at this place the establishment was owned by an american and was very extensive the building was celebrated as being the place where several americans were slaughtered by the mexicans during the revolution in which governor bent lost his life heretofore spoken of on the plain which is contiguous with the south bank of the roya honda there are to be found the remains of a large aztec town which was at some remote period the largest settlement inhabited by that interesting people to be found in northern new mexico at the present day can be seen the size and almost the number of houses which form the town which are very numerous the building material as here used by the aztecs was small cobblestones which undoubtedly were mixed with mud and thus formed the structure pieces of pottery flint arrow points stone pipe and rude tools have been from time to time found on the site of the town going to prove that the people were not wandering in their habits but that instead they occupied their time in farming raising cattle and mining the wild indians may have murdered the inhabitants and then destroyed the town or civil war and pestilence might have caused it to become deserted when as a natural result it fell to decay the most plausible theory to entertain is the former as every old mexican town of the north contains relics which could not have been designed merely in case of emergency not one of these towns in olden times was without a large well which in most instances was bountifully supplied with water in time of peace these extensive reservoirs were covered over and concealed from view and therefore but few strangers could be made aware of their existence on the breaking out of war these wells were thrown open for public use and being located in the center of the towns 
the inhabitants escaped that danger in procuring water which necessarily would have surrounded them in case they had been obliged as they are now to bring it from the neighboring streams as time rolled on and danger was lessened these wells were almost forgotten until the timber which covered them rotted and allowed their fragments and the earth to cave in when the object of digging these reservoirs became apparent it is an established fact in history that the town of taos once withstood a long and fearful siege but finally escaped as did its people uninjured the besieging party in this instance was composed of the indians of the plains they were present to the number of many thousand and were at last compelled to depart as is supposed in consequence of their provisions giving out reasoning from analogy it is no more than proper to suppose that if the early settlements of the mexicans were thus annoyed the case of the aztecs must have been still harder and that being overcome by numbers they were necessitated to succumb and hence were swept by the indians of the plains from the face of the earth leaving but a dim outline of their ancient grandeur the party found the stream very much swollen by the melting of the snows in the mountains when they arrived at its fording place notwithstanding a torrent rolled before them the command was of necessity given to cross there was no shrinking without a single murmur the entire command set themselves about the perilous task the bed of the river at this place is rocky and shelving at low water these facts offer no great obstacle in crossing the case is very different when the torrent has reached high water mark then a single step will often plunge horse and rider into the angry waters beyond their depth kit carson boldly took the lead and before the infantry had all passed the horses of the dragoons had to be sent back to assist them to facilitate this fording kit carson crossed and recrossed the stream at least twenty times no serious accident occurred although three of the dragoons came near being swept down the current which at the time was very swift and strong had they gone below the fording place they would most assuredly have been drowned as the river there takes a fearful leap through a cut in the rocks having safely gained the opposite shore the men found that their labors had but just commenced in front of them stood a precipice that was at the least calculation six hundred feet in height of solid rock and almost perpendicular up this ascent the command had to mount by following a zigzag trail with much trouble and toil the summit of the height was reached when they once more commenced their journey over a diversified country made up of plains and ravines no grass or water was found until the expedition arrived at a small mexican town called Cervaleta. here an encampment was formed for one night and here their animals were to have their last rations of corn and forage the sale of these latter articles proved a windfall too and made glad the hearts of the inhabitants of that settlement for the money which they received in exchange for their produce was the largest sum they had ever possessed thus in more ways than one these campaigns in the mountains caused good results these settlements on the remote frontiers of the territory of new mexico are composed of very poor people who for many years succeeding their first efforts on establishing their small farms find great difficulty in doing more than to feed themselves their distance from markets such as taos affords prevents them from transporting thither more than their small surplus of grain but as in this case on thus finding many hungry horses and mules to feed their corn stalks and wheat straw come into demand and bring them in a remuneration in ready money in sums which they have not even dreamed of before 
the only difficulty in trading with such people is to fix a fair price on their produce for they are so fearful of not receiving enough that they often overshoot the mark and charge so much as to prevent other expeditions of the same sort from visiting them with the few dollars in their pockets thus gained from the party these mexicans for once felt themselves rich men early on the subsequent day the whole force was again in motion and continued an active march for two days over a rough country at last kit carson struck the indian trail the course was instantly made to suit this trail when the party marched on two days more at a rapid pace on the second day's march the indians were overhauled the band of apaches had been jogging on slowly and consequently their animals were in good order the case was far different with their pursuers their horses were much used up by overwork and privations thus when their strength was most needed it was found wanting the indians espied the soldiers in time to make good their flight but not quick enough to save the lives of all their warriors several of them were killed and many more wounded they also lost a few of their horses and nearly all their camp equipage the roughness of the section of the country where they were overtaken assisted the savages in escaping notwithstanding every effort was made by the americans to prevent their leaving so easily kit carson when describing these events says to captain sykes who commanded the infantry is due the greatest amount of praise for the part he acted in our adventures when his men were almost broken down with sore feet long and difficult marches want of provisions the coldness of the weather and with their clothing nearly worn out and when they were on the point of giving up with despair they were prevented from doing so by witnessing the noble example set them by their captain he showed them what a soldier's duty really was and this so touched their pride that they hobbled along as if determined to follow him until death relieved them from their sufferings although this officer had a riding animal at his disposal yet never for once did he mount him but instead he lent the horse to some deserving soldier who was on the point of succumbing to overwork when the indian village was discovered he cheered his men from a limping walk into a sort of run and dashing through a swollen mountain stream that was nearly up to their armpits and full of floating ice he was with his company the foremost in the attack two soldiers of captain sykes company were wounded and one of them afterwards died the other man was severely injured but eventually recovered the indians on being routed were pursued through a deep canyon for about four miles a few who had been previously wounded were overtaken and slain night now came on therefore the men had to give up the chase and on returning to their own encampment they found their friends had located it on the same ground which the indians had occupied when they were first discovered the next morning the surviving wounded man with an escort was sent back to the nearest military post so that he could receive proper attention the pursuit at an early hour was then resumed by the soldiers taking the fresh trail of the indians away went both parties through valleys canyons and over snow-clad mountains until in the end the americans saw that it was impossible to overtake the red men who began to break up into squads of two and three and scatter in every direction during the latter days of the chase the routes which the indians traveled were the worst they could select their object being entirely to use up the animals of their pursuers who were thus vigorously driving them from one aunt to another very often at night the soldiers would find themselves bivouacked but a short distance from the place which they had left on the previous morning and this happened when not once during the whole day had they missed the trail or ceased traveling 
but the fact was that the enemy were so familiar with the country that they made these crooked trails with impunity finally the indians saw that in this trial of muscles and nerves they gained nothing and could not thus shake off their pursuers but that it was necessary for them to try other expedients therefore they separated to meet again at some preconcerted rendezvous on this occasion as so often heretofore the apaches did not belie the character formed of them by some of our most experienced military men and of which we have often spoken viz that they have no equals for endurance and such a thing as overtaking them when once put to flight is almost out of the category of the white man's feats there being nothing more that could be accomplished by the pursuit consequently colonel cook ordered his men to face about and they having done so he made a direct march abiquiu a mexican village that is located on the rio chamo a tributary of the rio del norte the design he had in going there was to recruit his men and animals their sufferings had been severe although performing constantly more than double duty the entire command was put upon half allowance of food and that little could not be properly cooked for this reason the trials and hardships which they experienced were of no ordinary character the town of abiquiu where colonel cook arrived is about sixty miles northwest of santa fe and a traveller can make a journey through the valleys from one town to the other it stands next to taos in point of magnitude and importance in the matter of townships in the north of new mexico the scenery about this settlement is very attractive and as it lies on the borders of the utah indian country it is frequently visited by these indians the neighbors of the utahs the navajos occasionally make their appearance in the town the mexicans of abiquiu from their continued intercourse with the bands of the utah indians are more or less linked in with them and in time of war the americans can place but little confidence in the inhabitants of abiquiu on this account the grazing and farming facilities of the country adjacent to this town are quite progressive and were it not for the indians its resources would be much more rapidly developed than they are now utah was originally part of the territory of upper california the united states came into possession of it by the treaty with mexico in eighteen forty eight the population is chiefly mormon the new territory as set off by the united states in eighteen fifty includes an area of one hundred and eighty seven thousand nine hundred and twenty three square miles or one hundred and twenty millions two hundred and seventy thousand and seven hundred and twenty acres near the eastern base of the sierra nevada range there are several lakes which receive the waters of the eastern slope of these leviathan mountains one of these lakes bears the name of kit carson having been named carson lake by colonel fremont in one respect this country has the characteristics seldom met with in any part of the globe large numbers of lakes and rivers have no outlets such is the fact in regard to carson lake the only means by which their waters are reduced is by evaporation the great salt lake of utah to the traveller is of great interest it may well be called the dead sea of utah as has been seen colonel cook and party were now halted at the mexican village on the rio chama a tributary of the rio grande or del norte the party that had been sent back with the wounded man while on their journey met and captured an indian supposing him to be an apache they deprived him of his horse and arms and otherwise treated him as a prisoner while they were en route the indian made his escape and joined his tribe 
this captive they afterwards learned was a utah whose tribe had the external appearances of being friendly towards the whites although there were existing good reasons for doubting their sincerity colonel cook fearing that such treatment might offer the utahs a plausible excuse for openly declaring war determined to clear himself of censure by making such reparation as was in his power accordingly he dispatched kit carson to the headquarters of his agency in order to settle matters on reaching taos kit carson sent an expressman to the utah village with the request that their chiefs would come and have a talk with him they obeyed his summons and when they were seated in council with their father kit he explained to them how that the soldiers had taken prisoner their brave through mistake and ignorance he informed them that his countrymen did not wish to do their tribe any injury and he trusted that they would overlook the affair advising them that the best way to show to the white men that their intentions were honest would be by not rendering aid to the apaches he said that he had not sent for them through fear as their warriors were but a handful when compared to the soldiers of their great father but the main object always to be held in view in their deliberations was to cultivate friendship as the country was large enough for both parties to live in the indians replied that they were satisfied with the explanation made to them and declared that their hearts were not in the least inimicable towards the whites on hearing this kit carson restored to them the captured property and also made to the chiefs themselves a few useful presents colonel cook after granting a sufficient rest to his men and obtaining supplies at abiquiu started out again to hunt the jicarillas he was so fortunate soon after as to find a fresh trail and in hot haste followed it for several days when unfortunately he was caught in a furious snowstorm which obliterated the tracks of the indians besides otherwise greatly damaging his resources the fair prospects of a successful termination to the expedition being so suddenly frustrated the commander had no other alternative open to him but to return this he did by going to the rito colorado a small town that lay on his route here the command was joined by major brooks of the third regiment of the u s infantry who had marched to the relief of colonel cook with reinforcements as soon as the necessary preparations were gone through with another scout was undertaken under the charge of this last named officer while colonel cook and his men retired from their active service major brooks without much difficulty struck upon a recent path made by the enemy and on it gave them chase the indians were making their own way to the utah country and on arriving there the plans of the major were completely balked owing to the great numbers of fresh trails that he discovered in those parts they were so numerous that they had crossed and recrossed one another at all points and were so similar that his best guides could not distinguish the one made by the apaches from those belonging to the utahs the result was that his command after being in the field for fifteen days was compelled to return without accomplishing anything these two nations the utahs and apaches have been so long intimate that many of their habits and customs are the same and very often it requires them to speak their respective languages before they can be recognized but usually the utahs are cleaner and better dressed than their faithful allies the apaches whom they use in time of war and peace as tools after allowing a sufficient time for the apaches to collect and reorganize so that they would be more accessible a third expedition was made ready and placed under the command of major carleton of the first regiment of the united states dragoons major carleton employed as his guide kit carson 
this command at first traveled to the north one hundred miles until it reached fort massachusetts here it halted for one day until the final arrangement could be finished major carleton then divided his party sending one division which consisted of his spy company under captain quinn to examine the country to the west side of the white mountains while he took it upon himself to inspect the territory on the east side of the same range captain quinn followed up the valley of san luis when he reached the moscow pass he turned off through it in order to get into the wet mountain valley where it had been previously agreed upon that he should meet with and report progress to his commanding officer the moscow pass is a narrow opening in the white mountains which latter is but another name for a branch of the rocky chain this pass has been traversed by colonel st vrain many years ago with wagons but at the present time such a feat would prove to be an impossibility as the mountain streams have washed down large rocks and other obstacles which now present difficulties which simply men and animals cannot overcome the pass itself is but a few miles in length it is but a deep cut through very lofty mountains its sides are rocky craggy and very rough defying in many places the most experienced climber to ascend them it is a favorite route which the apaches delight to take when hotly pursued as it offers them the saving of many miles of difficult and circuitous traveling when they wish to reach the open prairies on reaching the place of rendezvous carleton while in the sangre de cristo pass by the aid of his guide kit carson discovered a trail made by three of the enemy and on following it up it was found to join the main path on the huerfano creek on the arrival of quinn who had discovered signs which indicated the direction the indians were taking a conference was called when all the old guides and spies of the party agreed in believing they were on the right scent the skill shown by these men accustomed to the business of tracking indians either for friendly or warlike purposes is often truly wonderful and especially it is so to a person brought up in a civilized community only familiar with the reports of such things the age of the trail the haunts the red men are bound to their object in going there the numbers on the trail and the tribe or tribes to which they belong can in the majority of cases be told with the greatest accuracy it is by philosophizing on minute things which in ordinary life would be considered mere trifles and hardly worth a consideration that this knowledge is arrived at thus it takes but a minimum amount of wisdom to realize that a spear of grass when trodden upon is usually crushed to the earth but few reflect that the attempt is made by nature to restore the blade to its naturally upright position and in doing so requires a certain period of time to accomplish the task this process to the trailer is an index by which he judges the age of the visit made by the indians to that section of the country the shape of the sole of the moccasin or the carvings on arrows when they are found which not unfrequently happens and many other like things are sure signs in guiding the experienced trailer to the particular party he is seeking carleton and his men became flushed with the prospects of success on finding the main trail and they lost no time in following it up for six days they made rapid progress and at the end of that time espied the indians encamped on fisher's peak in the raton mountains although the mountain was none the easiest to climb yet the soldiers went at its performance with a determination that brought them upon the indians before they could collect their animals and be off and the consequence was that many a brave warrior then and there drew his last breath however 
the most of the indians ran away but were pursued and a few were overtaken and shot end of section twenty seven chapter sixteen part one